Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST 89, the Slovenly album Repost. We've had Slovenly on before. Uh, we had a full length, uh, about, I don't know, about 10 episodes ago, something like that. We really enjoyed it. I really like this record too. And we've got a special guest, Brent. Yeah, Tom Kid Watson's on the podcast today. Couldn't be a nicer guy. Um, really, really appreciate him coming on. As we mentioned when Big we time. went through the went through the first Slovenly record uh, that we covered on the show, there's just not a bunch out there about these guys. It's kind of the same two or three articles on Slovenly, and uh, a lot of the sentiment in the articles is like, you know, for the people who saw them. They were really big fans and not a lot of in-depth analysis about them. So it's a huge thrill to have Tom on. Well, you know what, Ryan? Actually, I don't know if you found this, but Dave Lang from Perfect Sound Forever. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. He did a new interview with, with, I think, everybody from Slovenly that's, really? that's around. Yeah. It just went oh, up I, recently. We'll post it. Oh, I did, I did not see that. Good call. I'll have to go back and check that out. Yeah, we'll post it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, for for people who want to go back and check out the first Slovenly release that we went through, Thinking of Empire, that's episode SST67. Um, but that's a good call, Brent. I, I totally missed that. The Google machine did not serve me well this week. He's been kind of a big champion of Slovenly in the past. Yeah. Well, in his in his big summary of SST bands, when he's mentioning kind of the unsung heroes or, you know, the bands that a lot of people need to discover, he definitely was a big champion of them and Saccharin Trust, a lot of bands that we really dig. I mean, when, when we get into Slovenly, for some reason, I really feel like I'm in the same type of wavelength as when we're doing like a Saccharin Trust or an Angst episode. I don't know if you get that same type of vibe, Brent. Big time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it just feels like feels feels really special to kind of dig into this type of band that's just a really really cool uh cool unit man and more people need to get to know them yeah. um before i get to my spiels brant i was looking back at the last few episodes i think i've went first the last while so why don't you go first with some spiels okay well maybe you don't want me to i've got let's see i've got a couple recommends and then i've got a quiz and then i have a rant now that you've said it, now that I know you're going to end with a rant, I want you to go first. <laughs> Is that what you want me to? I was going to leave it up to you. What, Which order should I do this in? Oh, I want you to end with a rant. Okay, I'll start with the recommends. Okay. Have you, Ryan, ever, I'm sure you have, been flipping through a bin of records at a record store and had a record come up that you almost can't believe you're seeing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That happened to me today. What did you find? I found the Dead Hippie album. Whoa. <laughs> oh my God. Do you recall why we talked about Dead Hippie? Oh man. This isn't the quiz, by the way. No. Oh God. Is the quiz harder than this? Yes. For you it is. Yeah. It's, oh, co man. it's common knowledge for most people, but for you, it, it'll be a tough quiz, I think. <laughs> Okay, well, I better save my brain cells. Tell people what, what uh, the deal is with Dead Hippie. So Simon Smallwood, 
is the vocalist in Dead Hippie, and he sang on the Worm album, Feast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been wanting to hear this for a while. I've never heard it before. I could not wait to get it home and put it on the turntable, and it did not disappoint. <laughs> it's, you know, I was expecting some kind of proto-metal, proto-punk, uh, sludgy kind of stuff like fe uh, Worm. It's not really like that. I mean, Simon's vocals are insane. They're like a cross between, you know, there's a there's a little bit of Jello Biafra in there, um, a little bit of Jack Grissom, and even I hear Thomas Antona from uh, Alice Donut. He sounds like a little bit to me. No way. What year did that come out? Uh, 1983. And what label? Pulse Records. Huh. I don't have anything else on Pulse Records. It might even have been the band's label. I don't really know. It, the music sound, it, speaking of Jack Grissom, it kind of reminds me, the, the closest thing I could think of was those first two TSOL albums they did without Jack, with Joe Dean on vocals, um, Revenge and Change Today. It kind of reminded me of that. Hmm before they turned into like a flash metal band. But I, I really liked it. I'm looking forward to checking it out some more. I only had a chance to listen to it once, but it's crazy. Out of all the punk books I've read, I I don't think I've ever seen Dead Hippie get mentioned by anybody. Yeah, and to find it in like, you know, your hometown, my old hometown, yeah. which is not known for finding like rarities like that, boy. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, so that's one of my spiels. That's a mind blower. Here's my, here's one of my recommends. I finally finished, and not because it was bad, just because I've been I'm reading thirty different things. But I finally finished this Swan's book called Sacrifice and Transcendence. Oh yeah, the oral history by Nick Soulsby. We've talked about Nick before. He's the guy that wrote. He's written a few books, but he wrote the one that kind of chronicles all of Thurston Moore's recording sessions which is really good which is part of the reason why i bought this but also because i'm interested in swans i wouldn't say i'm a huge swans fan but i do have you know five or six of their albums and i knew it would be a good interesting book and it sure is so if you have even a passing interest in swans you will love this book yeah i would say i have a slightly like a medium to high interest in swans I pick up their stuff when I come across it used and I listen to it and I enjoy it, but I'm not like a swans completist by any means. Well, it seems that everybody or almost everybody was on it. And I mean, swans have been around for years and years. So oh, yeah. many, many bands get mentioned, you know, like a lot of people that were in other bands were in swans. Yes. You know, yeah. like I remember one point in the, of the book, a dude from Thin White Rope was in Swans. Hmm. You know, stuff like that. So it's worth checking out. Alrighty then. Let's see. What else do I have? Please don't be the quiz. Please don't be the quiz. Quiz time. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> do you, Ryan, I think this will be the second time I've asked you this. Oh, no. I don't remember. You know my memory sucks, man. <laughs> do you remember the name of St. Vitus before... They became St. Vitus. Not a chance. No way. Tyrant. Tyrant. 
Okay, tyrant. Do you remember? Wait, wait. Quiz over. Thank you, Brandon. No, no. This is this is a multi-part <laughs> quiz. <laughs> Do you remember who I thought the the band is that made them cho- choose the name Tyrant? Sorry, ask that question again. The name Tyrant. Yes. I mentioned that they may have chosen it because a very famous metal band has a song called Tyrant. Ooh. Do you recall who? I'll give you a clue. I'll give you. I'm okay, gonna. I'll, I'm gonna guess it's Black Sabbath. I have no idea. I'm okay. It's not Black Sabbath. Okay. Their singer is is commonly known as the Metal God. Does that help you at all? Not even close. No, I have no idea who Iron Maiden. No, you're getting warmer. <laughs> Actually, you were warmer with Black Sabbath. Really? <laughs> they're from the, they're from the same t- uh, city as Black Sabbath. Is that Birmingham or something? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Ah. I don't know, man. I give up. Okay. Come on. It's Judas Priest. Okay. Now we get to the recommend part. <laughs> okay. If Judas Priest comes to your town, go see him. Because I saw him last night and they were awesome. Really, hey? Yeah. Wow. Well, that was a really roundabout way to brag about <laughs> having seen Judas Priest last night. There's an SST tie-in, man. Yeah. So... <laughs> What were, so I, I have watched like a number of metal documentaries, you know, and as I recall, a number of metal documentaries. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've watched, I've watched a ton. Like, uh, I enjoy music history, no matter what it is. It's not necessarily what I will put on my turntable, but I enjoy it. And there is a lot of crossover with music that I like in the metal world. And there is, um, like Judas Priest, not only did they have like Rob Halford as the lead singer, that's like, you know, the famous guy, but then they had two guitarists, right? Yes. Someone and someone. There's, it's like a something in teeter or whatever. What is it? What is it? <laughs> Glenn Tipton and KK Downing. Okay. There you go. Tipton and Downing. That's, that's yeah. the, that's the, the term I'm looking for. Yeah. Now, Teeter's in the dictators. Who? Teeter. Teeter. Okay. <laughs> Richie now, Teeter. Now, hold on here. Uh, One of those two dudes is not touring, if I read something recently right. Is that right? Well, K.K. Downing retired probably about 10 years ago. Okay. He, uh, I think he thought Priest was going to be done anyways. They had been doing a tour called the Epitaph Tour and were kind of floating the idea out that it might be their last tour. And then he got like a lot of aging rock stars, he really got into golf. I think it's a good way to kill time on the road when you kind of quit partying and stuff. Yeah, right. And he ended up like buying a golf course or something. I read his book. I'm pretty sure the golf course went bankrupt. Well, that's too bad. And and so so what happened was they replaced him with this young guy, Richie Faulkner, who kind of reinvigorated the band and as a songwriter. And they started putting out some critically acclaimed albums and it kind of Gave them a second wind. Huh. But now Glenn Tipton, who is, I guess, I practically a founding member of the band. He's not really, but he's played on every album. Going back to the 70s, he has Parkinson's disease, so he's not touring with them anymore. That's the one, that's the one that I read. So they've got two, like, well, one 10-year-old guitarist and one newer guitarist in the band these days, right? Yeah. Okay, and it was good. I loved it. Yeah? I've seen Priest couple times before and it, it was my favorite time the set list was just awesome oh. deep cuts <laughs> deep cuts hey wow yeah yeah so not just playing the hits no man wow well, that's great 
I uh, I'm a fan of anyone he goes to see live music and enjoys it, man. Yeah, I loved it. I'm pumped. I get to see a few shows in a couple of weeks here, like three nights in a row. I can't wait. You know who's playing at at the at the festival that you're going to? Mm, that you should go see. There are four bands that I want to see. There is uh, there's the Mesthetics. I'm going to see them. Man or Astroman. I'm going to see the Oblivions. I'm also going to see Kowloon Walled City. I'm also going to see uh, Kid Congo. I'm going to see. I'm going to see those five. What else should I see? I'm going to I'm going to add a six band to that list for okay, you. Okay, lay it on me. Comets are coming. Comets are coming. Yep. Okay. What's the deal on them? You like Kamasi Washington? Yes. Then you'll like Comets are coming. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll see if I can do it. Three nights out in a row is really hard for me already. You can do it. You can do it. It's really hard. <laughs> I want to get... I want a roundabout quiz about all of those bands when you after you see them. You want me to ask you a quiz? A tie-in quiz, <laughs> just like I just did to you. <laughs> uh, with my memory, I won't remember. Now, wait a second. <laughs> Didn't you have a rant in store for me? I do, yeah. Right. It kind of ties in with what you were saying about Slovenly. Okay. So I recently got uh, Spotify, mostly because my kids wanted it. So I got like a family account. You know, do you know what Spotify is, Ryan? I know of it. I I don't have it. I'm not planning to get it. It's not in yeah. physical copy, so fuck that. Right. I understand that. Like it's a streaming service, right? And it is not going to replace buying records for me. But I'm pretty into it, man, because I listen to a lot of music on my phone and it's basically just saved me from having to constantly take stuff and put new take stuff off and put new stuff onto my phone. And I'm impatient and there are certain things I really want to hear right when they come out. I'll give you an example of that. We were talking a couple weeks ago about how DOA is like in my top five. Of your top 30, yes. Yes. Well, as you know, uh, Pat Todd and the Lazy Cowgirls are in my top two. <laughs> yeah, and, right. <laughs> And I have not gotten my physical copy of the new Pat Todd and the Rank Outsiders yet. But I listened to it on Spotify. Same with the new Jay Robbins. I haven't gotten it yet, but I've already heard it. Now, you could argue that that is ruining the mystique or whatever. Whatever. I'm not going to stop buying stuff. I already have to a degree. Another good example of that is I recently bought the new 7-inch by uh, this band Dead Ending that I think I've mentioned before. Okay. Most of their, it's Vic Bondi from Articles of Faith. Most of their stuff's on alternative tentacles, as is this 7-inch. I ordered it through my local record store. It was 12 bucks, man, for a 7-inch. Now, I understand why, you know, shipping to Canada is expensive. The exchange rate sucks. The record store has to mark it up to make money. But 12 bucks for two songs that are two minutes long, I could have bought it off iTunes for... Two dollars. A couple bucks. Yeah, two dollars. Yeah. I get it. And still, so, and still supported the artist, right? Mm-hmm. Anyways, none of this has anything to do with my rant. Here is my rant. We recently did Painted Willie live from Van Nuys. And we had people messaging us going, where can I hear this? Where can I hear this record? And you know what the answer is, Ryan? Nowhere. You, ha you have to buy it. Yeah. You have to buy, and... 
you have to buy a turntable because it only came out on vinyl. Now, most people that listen to this probably have turntables. But you would be amazed by... I'll think of a band or I'll be reading like the Swans book and a band will come up and usually I already have it on my hard drive at home, but I'll be like, yeah, I wonder if they're on Spotify. And I am amazed how much stuff is on Spotify. Like a lot of the Alternative Tentacles discography, for example, is. I think the entire Discord discography is on Spotify. All, all the Didn't way back. did Discord put it on there for free? Like, I'm pretty sure Discord put its whole catalog up digitally for free at one point. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. My point is... What's the deal with SST? You, you, you can't even hear Live from Van Nuys on YouTube, man. Which is the worst place to hear this stuff. Slovenly? Uh, my point is, if Greg Ginn is not going to put this stuff up on, on Spotify, he should give the master tapes back to the bands and let them put it on Bandcamp, put it on iTunes, put it on Spotify, re-release it in some way. It's insane to me that a, that a record label as prestigious, the preeminent record indie record label of the 1980s, has bands on it where you can't even hear it in any way. Yeah, that's brutal, man. Or, or purchase it. Yeah. It's ridiculous, and it's bullshit. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know all the details. I don't know the whole story. I just have read stuff in books, right? I don't know what actually happened. I have no reason to believe or disbelieve anyone, but <clears throat> based on what I know, it'd be good for some of these artists to get some money too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm assuming Slovenly never got a dime. And hey, maybe, maybe there was no money. Maybe Slovenly broke even, but maybe they can make a few bucks now. Or at the very least, people could hear what they put all that effort into. Yeah, you know, when I was listening to this record repost, I was like, man, this record is so influential and people don't know it. Yeah. That's what went through my well, head. Like, That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Never mind the fact that I can't get a remastered version of my war with, with, uh, remastered, a bonus disc with remastered, uh, demos. Chuck Biscuits demos, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind that that's never going to happen for whatever reason. Yeah. That's... At the very least, I would like a re remastered copy of Angst and Slovenly. Look what Discord does, man. Yeah, they do good work, Discord. Yeah. You can't tell me there's not a market for that stuff. Oh, there is. At least digitally there is. At least. At, at least. I get it, right? The, like, the catalog for SST is insane. The back catalog. There, You probably could not justify pressing new copies of a slovenly record. You could... But make it available digitally, for Christ's sake. Rant over? Rant over. <laughs> We rarely rant on this podcast, man, but the the Painted Willy thing stuck in my craw and then got me thinking about it. And then when I listened to this slovenly, you know, I was, yeah. it just really put me over the edge. Yeah, that it's a shame. You, this can, is a, you can only hear, a, hear, you can only hear this record on YouTube, right? Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. 
No one should listen to music on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know you were going to be making such a, a SoundCloud pitch on this episode, man. <laughs> Are you getting kickbacks or what? <laughs> yeah, I forgot to tell you about our new sponsor. <laughs> Well, you know, you know what my... So head over right now. Yeah. Head over right now and click on like for whatever the hell. I don't know how it works. Enter the promo code MOJAC. Yeah. I have... To receive 10% off at your checkout. <laughs> okay. Can I hit you with a couple of quick spiels then? Yeah. First of all, uh, Screaming Trees record, Sweet Oblivion, being reissued. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good news. Get it. I will. Uh, yeah. Uh, great record by them. It's kind of the one that, that made them famous. Um, and it's a, and for good reason. I mean, it's a good record. Yeah. There's actually not really, there's really no bad Screaming Trees record. All of them are very, very good. Um, even the er it's true. early psychedelic stuff, um, Uncle Anesthesia, Dust, like all of them. They're great. That Lost album that they did, if, well, probably close to 10 years that they put out, that's really good. Oh, the Lost Tracks one? Yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly. But uh, Sweet Oblivion's coming out, like bonus tracks, blah blah blah. Check it out. Um, I got the uh, the new John Doe book in the mail. I'm going to start reading that this week. Pumped about that. Um, I'm saving. I've I've got a big spiel on that next week. Oh, geez. Well, I was just looking at the the contributors in the table of contents. Yeah. And uh, whoa, baby, that looks cool. Um, and then my last spiel, see how fast I'm going through these, um, is actually, it's a doom metal update, Brent. What? Yeah, it's a doom metal update. Holy, you are surprising the hell out of me. First I find out you watch metal documentaries, now you're <laughs> spieling about doom. Okay, so, well, first let me check. Did you pick, did you pick up the new uh, candle mask? No. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> but but let, first I got to check, because, you know, Discogs is not always right. I checked out, like, I was like, what is this band? And it said that this band is Doom. It's a band called, I want to know if you know this band, Brent, Paul Bearer. Yeah, new, newer, newer. Yeah. Newish. Yeah. I've got maybe two albums out. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. So, yep. Paul Bearer, do you want to know why I know about Paul Bearer, Brent? Yeah. Um, so, I subscribed to the 2019-2020 edition of the Sub Pop Singles Club. And this okay. month, and every month you get two singles, and this month I got a single by Paul Bearer. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, and I like. Do you? I like. Yeah, I like it in um, <clears throat> the same way that I like kind of earlier uh, Baroness, I guess. It it had like it's definitely heavy. It's definitely drop tuned. Um, it definitely has some like you know melodic soloing and stuff, which is not my cup of tea. But every once in a while, when it's really heavy and really intense, and then all of a sudden the vocals will will chime in with something very melodic. That is um, that's a hook for me, and I really enjoyed this single, Paul Bearer. The tracks are. You can probably download these. Maybe you can get them on SoundCloud, Brent. Uh, probably not if it's a Sub Pop Singles Club thing. I don't know. The, the main song on it, though, that uh, I really enjoyed is a song called Atlantis. And hmm. it's uh, it's long. It plays on 33. 
Nice. Yeah. It's really good. So do you have any pallbearer LPs? I've uh... Yeah, I have one of them. A decibel magazine is always like they do a top 50 or whatever of the year every year and Paul Bear has I think around two albums out and they've both made like the top 10 so is it am I right though that that's Doom oh yeah Doom yeah okay so I think I'm gonna buy a Paul Bear LP and see if uh, I'm into it because I was really blown away by the single oh well stay tuned because I've got more recommends for you then what like Doom recommends yeah well slow down slow down okay <laughs> Look, I'm not going to start wearing, I'm not going to start wearing a sleeveless jean jacket overnight here. Why not? <laughs> what did you call it on that one episode? Battle jacket? Yeah. A battle vest or something? Yeah. <laughs> I wore mine to Judas Priest last night, man. I'm sure you did. Um, well, that's it. I thought it would uh, blow your mind with a quick doom update. Uh, that might be the best spiel you've ever spieled. Uh, hell no. But in, in 89 episodes, <laughs> I don't think so. Anyways, what do you think? Do you want to get into this rad album? Yeah. History lesson part one. Okay. So we've got it. We've got Tom on the show. And for people who want to learn more about Slovenly, like I said, go back to episode 67, where we went through the Slovenly album, Thinking of Empire. Um, I think you mentioned it in the interview, Brant, and I don't want to give it away, but it's hard, hard when you're listening to this record, not to think of them as like a, almost like a stereotypical SST band, because there's just so much art, there's so much integrity, and yeah. you know, this is not going to get famous or popular, but when you listen to it, you're like, whoa, there's something there. For sure. Oh, I listened to it like 10 times this week. And I knew right away that I liked it. But I had a really hard time writing notes about this, the track. Me too, man. I had the exact same experience. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I got, I kept on going, okay. I like, I'm on side two. And I'm like, okay. I got to like take a step back and really focus and write something. And I, <laughs> I would get notes down. On, on like the first track, uh, Enormous Critics, I'd get some notes down. And before I know it, the side of the record's over. I would just get lost. Yeah, that's how I was too. Yeah, isn't that wild, hey? Yeah, let's kick it over to Tom. Okay, we're joined on the podcast today by Tom Watson. Tom, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, so we're talking about Slovenly, and we're specifically on the album Repost. Maybe you can take us back a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about how you got started. How did you end up picking up a guitar? Was that your first instrument? Hmm. Uh, yes. Um, I, uh, uh, I guess um, I was a little kid when I first picked up a guitar. Uh, I lived in New York, and my dad had an acoustic guitar, and, and it was about the time that the Beatles' first record came out, Meet the Beatles, and... I remember hearing the sound of that guitar and my dad sort of mimicked it a bit and I didn't really understand the sound that was coming from the record if that it was a guitar or what it was and uh but I somehow I mean maybe I'm imagining this but as a 
as a little kid, it was like I just wanted to make that sound. <laughs> um, I didn't know it was an instrument or that it was a music thing or whatever it was. I just, you know, it's more of a visceral expression. And my dad was very, uh, I don't know, patient with me. He only knew uh, a couple of chords, but I guess uh, he he said later that I wouldn't let him play. It's like I had to grab the guitar out of his hand. Like, I want to do that. And, uh, you know, little by little, I kind of picked things up. But, um, you know, when I was really young, I I don't know if it's accurate exactly, but I think I knew I wanted to do it. Like when I was uh, the first moment I heard it, you know, yeah. I didn't know what it was, but I wanted to do that. Uh, then what do you, are you like a classic rock guy when you're in high school? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I grew up in the six in the late sixties and then, um, I moved from New York to LA, California. And, uh, um, at that point I'd already been playing the guitar a bit, you know, mm -hmm. when I got to California, it was obvious, I think to my folks that like, I'm not going to stop doing that or I'm not, you know, I want to keep doing that. So I, I got some guitar lessons, like during the summer school and right. things like that. And um, from that point, I have I have an older brother, and um, he was also, uh, you know, eccentric and into art, into music. And about the time that glam rock was happening, I, I kind of all of a sudden experienced some form of, a, I don't know, enlightenment, yep. <laughs> epiphany, like, uh, you know, certainly I knew the Beatles and the Stones and that sort of thing, Creed's Clearwater. I knew it, you know, I, I understood it and I liked it. But once, uh, like, the 1970 came around and I was in California and, like, glam, my opinion, glam was the one that turned me on, like Bowie, Roxy Music, T Rex, you know, T Rex, uh, uh, Mott the Hoople, um, and even uh, like Velvet Underground. I kind yeah. of threw that in that category of like sort of art music For stuff. Sure. And uh, and I and, and and that's what got me like grabbed my soul, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I mean, so many other things, of course. You know, goes on and on. Especially as I got older, I would like uh, retrace things and get more into things from the past and you know, folk and jazz and all kinds of heavy metal rock and stuff and kind of just uh, obsessed on things like that, you know, as a kid. Now, what about teenager. punk rock? What about when that came around? Is that something well, that grabbed you? Um, yeah, well, no, I mean, I I, um, I was certainly, uh, like, I had gone through a phase of glam, <laughs> yep. heavy glam, and then... Uh, like I then I went through a kind of a string of prog influence and like progressive jazz things like um were you a glam guy uh, did you wear like high heeled boots and stuff no, no. but I I would have <laughs> if I were a little older yeah I, I had really long hair and and I had a satin shirt that I wore around but <laughs> no I was like I was like twelve or fourteen right. then but and then uh like sort of this my older brother kind of directed me along because he was. I heard the music through the wall of his bedroom and right. I was just like, Oh, what is that? You know? And, uh, you know, it's kind of slipped into this kind of proggy world, you know, but 
still like one foot in glam kind of thing. Like right. um, uh, there was a band called Bebop Deluxe. I know them. Yeah, was this kind of like kind of um, an obscure sort of I don't know hybrid of things, and it still had a lot of um, weird showman stuff going on, but also uh, like kind of got into like musicianship or yeah. musicality or things like this, you know. And then, uh, you know, when I was finally like 15 or I could finally go to a gig or a concert, let's say, or go see Emerson, Lake and Palmer, or Genesis or Yes, or these mega bands, you know, these prog bands. And I finally, uh, you know, I kind of got into that sort of thing. And then when I say these things were probably fleeting in some ways, like, um, you know, this was one summer and then the next summer I was into, uh, what they call kraut rock or right. of course very the whole time the whole 70s are very much um influenced by brian eno but also his connection with the roxy music and and also like certain like musical um concept conceptual music let's say like i, I don't know how to put it it's not higher art it's just a bit more conceptual mm -hmm. and um things relating to uh composition concepts that were um, relating to things in the past. So things of, for instance, um, or um, things, let's say Arnold Schoenberg or atonality or John Cage or, um, you know, it kind of everything started connecting at a certain point and uh, free jazz even or folk rock or John Fahey, things that were like kind of disparate and abstract and, then it forced uh, Captain Beefheart and television and things just everything kind of cascaded or coalesced and you know connected somehow and now are you um, doing stuff like this on, on yeah, your own at this point like bit. working with Trying. tape manipulation and, and these sorts yeah, of things yeah a little bit but I mean it was it was a bit like kind of um, uh, what do you would call it like a sort of elementary school version right. of that stuff uh, like, uh, yeah, we'd use tapes and especially my, my buddy, Tim Plowman and I, like we would do these, uh, sort of actually painfully art rock kind of compositions and things that were, you know, heavily influenced by Terry Riley or, you know, or John Fahey for that matter, you know, things that were right. kind of abstract and minimal and not necessarily in a technical way, a bit more of like a free form way. And, and that stuff, uh, led us to, to want to get into a bit more like attempt to get into something like, uh, I don't know, quote unquote, like ser more serious music, let's say, or, um, compositional things that are, I don't know, outside the rock realm, not prog, but, not far from that, you know, it's like we were kind of going, you know, we were heavily into, you know, Steve Reich or Philip Glass or things that were like minimalist composers that were doing things that that were um, not rock-based, but also um, things that we felt like um, we could incorporate, like in a, not necessarily in a pop way, but like in a rock way, and uh, like tape music. I think Tim and I were both really hyped on the idea once we graduated high school um we, we were both hyped on this uh incorporating 
somehow this music concrete or tape music to into pop music somehow. And you know, yeah, Eno's done that, and it's just been done in certain places. But um, we had uh, ambition for a while there to do that, and then uh, you know, then of course once we started consolidating as a as a band or as a group you know we kind of nailed down a bit more of our structural you know form format guitars and drums and things jumping ahead a bit then can you tell me a little bit about your and tim's time in holland sure um you know uh it was uh, tim actually had the uh got the tip let's say because uh, he and I were like heavy this was a point like we're graduating high school you know we're eight, almost 18 and you know what do we do now we could go to school here and study you know like electronic music there or tape music and uh, well there's this great he found this tip of this great electronic music studio uh, that was connected to the University of, of Utrecht in the Netherlands and I, it was kind of on a whim like I think we just kind of figured well that sounds good and <laughs> let's do that yeah. and uh, it was intense you know coming from the South Bay Beach of LA and then going to Holland to study electronic music it was kind of bizarre but um, we survived and you know built some character and as far as like yeah musically was it was it beneficial well, to, to do think, that i think so i i think um you know in hindsight i could have uh we i think we both could have gotten more from it maybe you know had we had a bit more like i don't know clarity of what we were doing uh i mean but I think for me anyway, I, I can look back on that and I know that I used a lot of things that I considered then, you know, studied and um, with certain composers, et cetera, uh, like music, um, uh, let's just say tape-based, not just electronic music, but like uh, uh, music concrete and uh, tape music that still is is apparent in what we do or had been apparent in what we did and something I think about all the time. So it's definitely, you know, left its mark. It did leave a mark for a long time. I think uh, we had always tried to include some form of um, tape piece or sound soundscape thing, you know, and whether it was along with music or not or, you know, conventional rock music or not it was like we always tried to include something with the slobbling records and you know sometimes better than others and but i think it re really affected how we treated our uh the the group of music our group of songs that we would try to release and um I think we could have done more with it, actually. I think it was like something that felt like, oh, we're being squelched and people don't want to hear this, you know. And I, ultimately, I think it would, didn't it didn't grow as well as it could have yeah. for us. Did you do but it live? It, we could have. Um, only like off of tapes, you yeah. know, not like uh, 
I mean, a, a tape machine, like multiple tapes. So gotcha. it was it was pretty unidimensional, and and Tim would do that. There was a period where Tim Tim was a good keyboardist, tape guy. You know, he would have a tape machine and a keyboard, and he would play that on his uh, ironing board. You know, and <laughs> I played the guitar and usually, and then but then there came a time where he got tired of lugging that crap around and. You know, understandably. So, yeah, it kind of ended that aspect of it live right. anyway. Okay, speaking of how you guys structured it live, how did you decide who played guitar and who played bass, both on the records hmm. and live? I, You know, that's kind of a, I have no idea, really. I think, <laughs> I think it was merely like whoever came up with the guitar part got to play the guitar. And, um, you know, and then other parts got delegated. I actually... Me personally, I I think I gravitated to the bass more and more. Oh. So um, as I was playing, um, maybe around the time of repost, I started feeling like I really love playing bass. Let me, I want to play more bass, and so it was kind of um, I don't know, just a feel thing. And I'd played Tim, and I'd played so long beforehand, and not necessarily as guitars. You know, you had been on keyboard mostly but right. um and then with scott he and i had played a lot before and before slovenly we had a band called toxic shock and i played bass in toxic shock and scott okay. played guitar so i think there was some kind of a like i don't know kind of a natural like you do this one i'll do that one and and certain parts were more i don't know more logical for one person to do than the other um what about like live did was, you did you swap instruments yeah 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 of yeah. course yeah i mean uh, about half the songs were scott on bass and then half were me on bass and scott's tunes the the one thing that you would if you heard it on radio or something you'd you'd notice that he's using a pick on the bass yep. and i used my fingers on the bass so that that's the big difference uh, we did pick Not up on big, that but we but... weren't sure who was who so yeah scott yeah. does a pick and and or did the pick and and i did fingers and that's kind of the difference yeah but you know steve i have to say steve anderson the singer actually contributed a lot to bass lines oh yeah and uh like he come in with like a bass line like he was very absolutely unschooled on on any instrument that seemed i don't want to say that for sure i don't know but um but came in like it's like someone who doesn't really know how to play the instrument is playing it and it's like oh my god that's a great riff or yeah let's do that and uh so there was some crossover you know even though whether it was scott or or me or or even Tim would play bass here and there. But Steve had a lot to do with the bass lines. Well, I mean, like, Jello Biafra hummed all of the music <laughs> to his bandmates, yeah. you know? Or like, Cap, or like you know, Don Van Vliet, you know, just yeah. say, play this. Yeah. So is that kind of how the songs came together then? Usually someone would have a riff uh, sometimes. or... And then you would jam yeah. it out together? I mean, it, uh, more often than not, it would be like, you know, maybe like 90%, 98% of the other bands in the world, but like one person would come in and say, 
check this out. I got this rip. Da, 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 da. Let's just keep playing this for a little while. You know, you can add a part. Here's another part. You know, things are just kind of assemble, you know. And But I think with us, it was a bit more of um, uh, like what can we contrast that with or like i don't want it to feel comfortable i want this to change here or let's you know it's a it was a kind of um well there's certainly like a certain competition in the band or like who's going to come up with the next weird break and how would that fit together and we'll, we'll just force it you know and uh you know sometimes that was cool i mean it was not uh, logical in some ways, but you know, I, I guess what I mean is that usually there was a, a riff, let's say, right. lack of a better word, but like something that was a hook and a guitar part, and we're going to play this for a little while, and then um, like, oh wait, what about that other bass part, Scott? You were just playing, you know, let's put that there. Right. Cool. Okay. And then why don't you just stop and drum? Rob, you play drums for two parts, and then. We'll come back in and then try it again and or we'll go backwards or you know it's you know it had some it wasn't organic let's say it was kind of um kind of abstract kind of abstract effort right. on all our parts i think kind of jab jamming things together and, and sometimes then, it worked and sometimes it didn't you know was was steve predominantly putting the the lyrics to the stuff later when it was done yeah, I mean, that's a that's a whole kind of different part, I think. Um, he, I, I feel fun, funny speaking for him because I kind of don't really know totally how that comes together, came together. Usually there were sort of kind of decrees written, and um, and the music was laid underneath, and then these parts. Of vocals and uh, uh, voices would be put over it, and sometimes it would lock into some kind of, I don't know, logical format. But not always, you know. It was um, he was free to do anything he wanted to do, you know. He could go anywhere with it. Um, I like that word, and, decrees. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think also, I, I mean, I hate speak for him uh, it's okay i'll speak for him but uh <laughs> i think i think he he often felt like he's he didn't want to be the center of attention or didn't want to be the focal point like a, a vocal person or front person would be normally he just right. didn't want that role and uh so the music became kind of that role in a lot of places and then his vocals would be kind of like this abstract story going along with it and, um, you know, it was strange, you know, but I liked it. You know, I think certain people liked it. Um, it, wor it works for and, slovenly. When when you say certain yeah, people well, I mean, liked it, like what, like what kind of response did slovenly get? Did you have like a, a uh, strong fan base? No, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. I'd say our, our fan base were mostly like the people in the other bands or certain certain critics not at all believe me we we got we got beat up in in press and uh and i understand i mean it wasn't very satisfying music for people to hear they had if you didn't know it it wouldn't make a lot of sense you know it's yeah it's, it's complicated and sort of paint 
painful and requires effort. You know? Yeah, it, it's challenging and music. Not always. Yeah, exactly. And it's not always like in a good way. It's kind of like, oh God, it's emotional, or, or why are they doing that? Or, it couldn't have been I mean, easy I, for Steve. He he kind of put himself out there, and I'm sure he took some well, some shit for not being that's true. Uh, good know, thing a, about Steve though is he's like. Uh, 200 pounds, 6'2", you know, <laughs> he's a big guy, he, and, and I think there's, he was, you know, it's hard to say, I mean, yes, we were punk, but not really, but in a way, it's like, like he would not back down right. in any condition, there was no one that's going to scare him away, you know, and so, like, you know, it took a certain, take some gall to get out there and do that, and but totally. I, he had a lot to say, you know. He had had a lot to give, and he has a lot to say and to give. I mean, it, I just mean in terms of like those gigs where you know there are people telling you how horrible you are yeah. <laughs> as you're playing, and it's like, oh, you like. It's good to have a big guy on your side once in a while, <laughs> you know. And and you guys go out and, on a long tour on this one. I I believe this was the the James Worthy tour after this release? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I think um, you're right. You're right. Because I think uh, we did a Firehose tour before that, I believe in 86, which was would have been like the Thinking of Empire tour. Right. But I, I think that um, we did, uh, we actually had some of, we were in San Francisco, we had some of the newer songs to tour with, but we hadn't released the record until the... Um, uh, James Worthy tour with Firehose, which was yeah, I guess a month and a half, maybe two months. That, um, no, that's got to be a an all right crowd for you, fire the high, Firehose crowd. Sure, I mean the best, you yeah. know, probably at that moment, um, the best we could have hoped for. Absolutely appreciated so much, you know that forever, you know the whole, you know not not just fire, you know, the Minutemen connection and yep. like what it sort of solidified and op- open minds for people that m- would be open to something we would do. And for sure. And, uh, so it was absolutely, come on, what's better than that? Yeah. That was like the perfect situation. I mean, it was rough <laughs> and we all struggled, but, it was about as good as you could get, I think, or we could get. Right. No surprise that you're on SST too. You're like the epitome of the like the SST sound, I would say. Well, but we lived here too. It was yeah. like, well, where else do you go? That's true. I mean, no offense. I mean, it was still yes, you're right. It was the optimum situation, but like we didn't really have any other option. Yeah. Which you know, of course, the Minutemen had the new alliance label and we did a couple things on them right but you know what i mean it's like black flag lived two blocks away you know <laughs> why not we do it on their label yeah. you know i mean kind of like that it wasn't uh obviously it wasn't because we were working the country and selling records you know it's just the locale kind of thing and kind of weird how that works well, I'd say more than locale, though there had to be some a, a lot given to the artistic merits of the band for sure. Maybe, maybe. I mean, hopefully, yeah. I'd like to think so. But um, 
I guess it was also a moment where things seemed a bit uh, like potentially, I don't know, like possible for any group of people that were going to do something different or original, let's say, or uh, trying to work work hard at doing something that, that someone else hasn't done, you know? And I think that was the beginning of SST, too, is that the cool part was that, like, there was no band that sounded like each other. They were all doing their own thing at that moment. And so we kind of fell into that, too, because, you know, we felt we were like that. And, and I think I said before is that not many people like this except people in the other bands or certain critics, not all for sure, but certain people in other bands like Greg Ginn, like Mike Watt, D Boone, like, you know, certain people that were part of that moment that, uh, were like open to it and like, Oh, this is weird. Like, even though they're new wave or I don't know what they <laughs> thought of us, we are certainly not, you know, we, at the moment or anyone would consider to be quote unquote punk. You know, right. we were just oddballs and, but I mean, whatever we were hard working oddballs, you know, work hard at it. And I don't, it's kind of hard to talk about it in hindsight. For sure. it, I don't even know why we did all that, you know, <laughs> Well, for the Sometimes. for the art, yeah, I guess we're compelled. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how know. the the best art is made, weird. right? You just have to get it out of you. Yeah, it was strange. Although it was also uh, had a lot to do with the opportunity of being able to do it and and being in the moment. You know, we we're a couple of years, a few years younger, back from you know the flag people and the you know, Minutemen, and, you know, we're kind of barely out of high school, maybe still in high school, you know, kind of barely out of high school, so we're kind of not really uh, real hip to everything at all, you know, so we're kind of um, isolated in a strange way, and yeah. it's hard to talk about this stuff, I, I sound... Uh, I don't mean to be so analytical. No, no, it's that's what this podcast what does. We we analyze <laughs> the shit out of these records. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I don't know what to say. Yeah. No, no, I understand, and um, and I certainly, I guess, what I would have to say in terms of that stuff is that I, I absolutely have to give credit to the people like you know Mike and D and Greg and the people that were part of that moment that like had it together enough to push it through or like get things started or put it together. Cause I don't think we would have done it, you know? Hey, do you remember recording you this know. album? Uh, repost? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I spoke with Steve Anderson before, uh, you know, earlier and, okay. uh, cause I wanted to refresh my mind a bit and uh, bounce some thoughts off Tim Plowman. And, oh, great. Um, you know, yeah, it is a bit a bit murky. You know, it would have been, uh, no, it was, Repost was like the first record we did where we were all living in San Francisco. Right. So we had all relocated, and this was a record that we had done since we lived there. The record before that was called Thinking of Empire, and we had already... 
I don't know, maybe at least half that record uh, had worked those tunes out in L.A. Right. And then um, we moved just we moved to San Francisco, and then we moved. They came back to L.A. to record that record with Spot, and and it was um, in a way it was sort of a, had still had one foot back in L.A. Kind of that thinking of Empire record. Right. Repost was kind of that foot was removed or pulled up or whatever, and it had a whole different sort of character to it that um, there are things about the record that were really, really different. Um, like with thinking of it, I have to use a little comparison to For clarify. Sure. Yep. With with thinking of Empire, I think because um, we were doing it with Spot and in L.A. and um, I think there was a, a conscious effort to make that like kind of a uh, cohesive, somewhat rock record, you know, right. like television, let's say, or something like that. Like, oh, we want this to have a have a consistent sound. And I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but I think that's that's sort of how that record worked out. And I like that record. I think it's got a lot of good stuff on it. Um, but then, once we detached, let's say, then we started on repose so that was the first record that we were complete completely detached from la and it it affected the way we worked on the tunes like we weren't just hashing it out in the practice room every night you know like the other stuff uh we kind of worked on things you know a little bit more uh morphing things like and your living room tim's living room scott's living room you know we just kind of worked things out and then uh a bit more textured and and then also in hindsight thinking about it it's a it's a bit more emotional too like there's sort of a unabashed kind of sensitivity to it mm-hmm. that's different you know like we're okay with we don't this is what we're doing as a band and um it wasn't so self-conscious right. i think even though I don't think Thinking of Empire was self-conscious necessarily, I think it was, it, it actually, that aspect just kind of left, you know, we were just going to do whatever we felt like doing. And yeah. certainly it, like it reflected everything that we were listening to, um, you know, which was a huge sprawl, sprawl of things, you know, but I mean, the, the obvious points are there, you know, yeah. um, this one, I think if I'm hearing you right. This one's just a little bit more. Um, it achieves what you guys were maybe trying to achieve as a band. Yeah, I think things kind of settled down to like we were just kind of making music, and yeah. it, it had nothing to do with what we thought people wanted us to, or wanted to hear. You know, um, I don't think we ever really were able to do that anyway. So I think, uh, like on that record, it kind of really broke that preconception for us that we could become like the descendants or like who's do you know we couldn't we're not gonna be you know what people are gonna expect on our right. i don't mean any disrespect for those guys no no i love those bands. Yeah, just but different just bands though that, that yeah. it's just like we're we're not gonna be consistent yeah. you know They're, the songs are all gonna change and for better or worse yep Sometimes for worse, but whatever. I mean, it was like the effort was there. I think that's the record, though, where it actually branched. I mean, um, I have to say, too, though, 
I think it also kind of referred back to some of the earlier ideas that we had as a band, which were like, we're going to record one song at a time and that they're not going to have anything to do with one another, you know, had something to do with this sort of uh, like individual, like musical musicality or musical experience. But um, in, in Riposte's case, um, and Tim mentioned this and reminded me that Vic, who was the uh, producer of that record, uh, recorded at we recorded at Vitas Matare's studio, but it was Vic Abascal who was producing it. And uh, Tim's take was that um, he was really trying to make a commercial record out of us, you know. And we were like, we don't know what that means, you know a Steely Dan record as opposed to, um, you know, a Velvet Underground record, you know, like the things that were like, uh, I don't know, homogenized in a radio friendly way. And, uh, and I think it happened in some places. Um, was he, I mean, was like, he actually producing you as opposed to just engineering he, the record? He, he, he recorded, engineered and, and had input in terms of overdubs and things like this, yeah. you know, not necessarily parts, but yeah. as far as I recall, I mean, it was more like we had the songs, but he wants to push, I don't know, a more acoustic guitar here. Or, right. You know, and I think that's an interesting aspect of it, but it also had a certain alien aspect, too, as far as I'm concerned. Like it was sort of unusual to me, anyway. Like, the process of it yeah it was kind of in my opinion very produced you know like in a way there was a, a kind of a lot of production involved in it yeah. for us you know it wasn't like plugging in our amps and playing you know it was very different that way from anything we did before and do you listen to it um i certainly i have um you know there are things i really like i really like about it for instance um there was a song on there that Scott wrote, and it was funny because Steve mentioned this also. He said that this record, he recalled that like each of us kind of brought our own tunes or our song ideas, and meaning like mostly me and Tim and Scott because mm-hmm. the guitar parts. Um, like we brought these thoughts or ideas in, and then we worked them out differently. Like it wasn't such a band jam, you know, free for all, and. Um, interesting because that, that also affects how it plays uh like like emotionally there are all kinds of different subtleties that oh yeah that was more me or yeah that's more tim or that's more scott and uh scott uh had a child at that or uh, around that time okay and uh her name was emma and he did a song for her and we did this tune for her on that record and it's kind of a mishmash of like a folky thing and some uh, tape music or, right, or right. field recordings and things like this. And then it was like, okay, that's cool. We can kind of do something that's really sensitive and we're not ashamed of it. It's not mm-hmm. punk, but you know, whatever, you know, it is what it is. And then, you know, we had a couple things on that record that were, were pretty delicate and, and soft edged. That's great that you can still talk to Tim and Steve about uh, yeah the record. It is. I mean, sadly, I can't talk to Scott, but yeah. I I kind of know 
I know I'm enough to guess yeah. what you might say. Well, speaking yeah. of speaking of Scott, let's talk about Overpass for a minute. Did that come together pretty quickly after Slovenly? Um, I think um, Overpass. There was a moment in the Slovenly life that um, uh, I don't want. It's not all about me, but I think there was a moment where I realized I wanted to move back to Los Angeles. But before that, Rob and Scott and I had been sort of doing these. Um, I don't know, jams, jam outs where we were doing instrumental grooves and things like this, which we had done before. Like, like we'd come up with song ideas that way, right. just be rocking out or whatever. And, uh, but there was a moment where it's like, Oh man, we could actually make songs, you know, or our own song. No, no offense to Tim or Steve. It was just, it was a different groove, you know? And, right. uh, so, um, there was, uh, I guess, getting back to the fact that, like, um, I'm moving back to L.A., guys. You know, I love San Francisco, but there's certain things in L.A. I need to take care of and et cetera and so forth. And it's not that far away, you know. We can still play. And uh, But uh, certain course of events affected how things work. And then um, one thing led to another, and I had Rob back in L.A., and then, I was playing with Rob or trying to sort that out. And then one, and then another thing, I do another thing. And I was like, man, Scott, you got to come down and we'll do some songs, you know, at least record a record and do something. And then, you know, we had a really good time playing together and we did a couple of records and toured a couple times. And they're great. They're both great fun. records. Yeah, we had fun just doing it. It was a, it was a break, you know. It was really kind of different from a slovenly practice, I'd say. It was just kind of like, I don't know, rock and roll band kind of, (laughs) in a way. It was there was less, uh, uh, less um, competitive conflict, I'd say, or or slovenly would required a lot of effort, at least for me, you Mm -hmm. know, to to go through it and. work things out and you know there are a lot of voices involved and a lot of good voices involved but like somehow this i don't know we were all just involved in other things in a certain moment and and then um overpass kind of came about because like hey guys robin and scott come back to la and we'll do a record and go from there you know and that's kind of what happened there Okay, well, here's a tough question for you. You might not have an answer for this, and it's okay if you don't. Mm. We've got a couple Slovenly releases yet to come. What's the best Slovenly record? (laughs) Well, I... Oh, God. I don't know. What's the general consensus? Is there? Well, I think We Shoot for the Moon feels like the most satisfying record that we did. And in a way, I think it's sort of because Riposte kind of set us up for it like i think repost was like we really were working hard on it and practicing a lot and doing i don't know maybe at the top of our ability or musical ability as a band and uh then when we did we shoot for the moon it just felt really relaxed and so it came out in a different way like it wasn't a pent-up kind of record i don't know i think we all kind of enjoyed recording it so that leaves a good vibe you know okay um and i think it's really kind of i don't know kind of resolves the other records somehow you know it's not 
any one way. It's kind of has a lot, little bit of everything on there, and it sounds good, you know. Although I do really, really love that uh, there, we have this EP called the Ab uh, Welcome No uh, Drive It Home Abernathy, which is a four-song EP on Ajax Records. Is that um, would, like the last thing you did as a band, maybe? Uh, the second to last. Okay. It would have been like would have been like uh, 89, 90, All right. maybe 91. It was um, like a, a four-song, seven-inch EP. And then uh, after that was Highway to Hanos, okay. which is NSST, our last record, and it was oh, marred by complex personal issues, let's say, but mm-hmm. it just didn't have the same focus. Even though there's some good stuff and it still had some spirit in it it didn't have the potency of like we shoot for the moon in my opinion right or even repost you know that those two kind of kind of nailed down our own thing in a way that's like we don't care what anyone thinks we're going to do this and but there is that that ep um drive it home abernathy which i think is really good it's kind of like if we could have brought that to an album length <laughs> say mm-hmm. i think we were playing really good and and like really experimental and in a good way and yeah it was fun and minimal cool and now you're playing with what you've been doing that for yeah quite some time yep yeah hanging in there you how know, often do you do that um it's more or less the the thing i do the most mm-hmm. you know no, it is the thing I do the most, for sure. I mean, I have gigs to play, and um, and we're doing records and things like that. And uh, and I love playing with him. He's he's amazing, you know. Uh, but it's also kind of nice, like uh, it's comfortable because I'm, you know, I'm in the South Bay in L.A. and we're not far apart. And I don't know if I, well, who knows, but. Uh, he and D Boone and George for sure. Like if those guys helped us out so much that it, it feels great that I get to keep playing with the people that, you know, that I want to, yeah. you know, that people I admire and, you know, it's a good thing. Yeah. How lucky, how fortunate, you know, to do that. Thanks a lot, Tom, for being on the podcast today. It was, uh, it okay. was really great having you. Sure. Yeah. Let me know if I can help again sometime. Maybe we shoot for the moon. Yeah, that would be like that. that would be awesome. <laughs> right on. Thanks, yeah. Brand. Thank nice you. To, nice talking with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. Take care. Talk soon. Yeah. Bye bye. All right, Tom, hell of a guy. Thanks for being on the yeah. show. Yeah, thanks, Tom. You want to hear some of the stuff I picked out? Yeah, definitely. That I liked? Some of the influences. Oh, yeah. Bebop Deluxe, uh, Brian Eno, lots of talk about prog rock, kraut rock, John Cage, free jazz, John Fahey, who I can hear on this album for sure, Beefheart, television, I can also hear. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
Terry Riley, Philip Glass. He says, we were into things that weren't rock-based, but we felt we could incorporate in a rock setting like tape music. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I think they could have done more with tapes and slovenly, and I think he kind of thinks the same thing, you know? Probably, like Mission of Burma or something. Yeah, Mission of Burma is a band I, that came to mind when I listened to this, for sure. I find, like, Burma's way more aggressive than these guys, but yeah. they could have shared the bill together, for sure. Yep. Uh, the, the, the question of who's playing what is kind of solved. Scott uses a pick, Tom doesn't. That was really interesting for me because because you sent me the interview earlier this week and i i got to listen to the album several times again after hearing that and i was like damn tom watson can play the bass like very very cool runs and licks on the bass for tom yeah well he he really likes doing it yeah um he i i I think he had a hard time trying to say it, but I, I, I think I know what he was, well, I know, I, I know what he was trying to get at when he's talking about how this is the first record they did while they were all living together in San Francisco and it's less self-conscious than their previous album. Ah, okay. Like this kind of notion that they weren't trying to maybe please anybody but themselves. Yeah. Or conform to anything. Yeah. I liked his comment. Like when you were asking him, how did they write music? I thought that that was very, very interesting. And in, like how honest he was is like, yeah, we were intentionally trying to do something different and trying to throw stuff together. And it's like, just when something would settle in and get a little comfortable, they'd kind of flip it up a bit, you know, and play it backwards or throw in this weird part. And it's interesting because one of the things that came to mind when listening to this record is all of the tension that the songs create over and over. And then there's like a release in, in all these songs, there'll be just some weird chord progression, weird combination of notes, and then something that's a little bit more tuneful, a little bit more melodic will come in. And the, the ups and downs of that throughout the album are really enjoyable. And it was interesting to hear Tom describe how they like, they actually tried to do that, which I thought was very cool. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to getting to, is we shoot the moon next for slovenly? Just hang on one second. They're both a ways away is the thing. Yeah. We hit a big Zoog's rift pocket in the early one twenties. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can't wait, man. Wow, man. Yeah. And then we hit a big like descendants reissue pocket. Wow. We've got some great stuff coming up. Where the hell is slovenly? We shoot the moon is next. It's not until 1989 and it's SST209. Oh. And then their last release or one of their last releases looks like highway, highway to Hanos is actually their last, but drive at home Abernathy he mentions, and that's 1991. It's not even on SST. That's okay. We'll still talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So there'll be a big break between slovenly uh, from this episode until the next one, but some great stuff in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah. Can't say enough about Tom though. We get a lot of people on the show. Tom definitely stands out as someone who is just very accommodating, very generous, very nice. Yeah. Sounds like he might come back on too. Yeah. That'd be deadly. Hey, I found a few quotes about this album. 
One's from All Music, Patrick Foster. He says, the first indication that Slav... He's talking about this record. The first indication that Slovenly was beginning to be drawn to longer, more abstract washes of sound. There's still strong attraction to the straightforward art punk of bands like Wire keeps the record from slipping down the hill of indifference. It's a, it's a must-own for fans of 1980s indie guitar scholars. Yes, yes. Yes. And it might be him also where I got the... Do you, do you call, call this album... Do you use the subtitle when you're titling the album? A Little Resolve? Yeah. Um, in some of the articles, they talk about it as like being subtitled, but I don't know. I don't see it listed as slovenly repost A Little Resolve. Yeah. Well, anyways, repost means a quick, sharp return in speech or action. Yeah. So there you go. I did think though, like, I, I don't know, maybe it's because of the subtitle though. When I was listening to it, I was mentioning kind of the tension that they create in the writing on this record and how every once in a while there's a little resolve to it in the songs. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it what it's what definitely hooks me in. Here's another one. This one's from Trouser Press, Ira Robbins. An involving and invigorating dose of offbeat words and mostly melodious guitar music that fully serves each other. The band's easiest to like record offers stimulating coffeehouse rock that doesn't dare you to hate it. Hmm. Easiest to yeah, like, hey? Yeah. Joe mentions them a few times in Joe Carducci and Rock and the Pop Narcotic. He says, arty but straight, clockwork-like melodic approach. And then the only other thing I found about Slovenly, because it truly is hard to find stuff other than that awesome new Dave Lang article, which I mentioned that we'll post, I found a blog where people were talking about Slovenly and this guy go, says on there, mostly what I remember of them live is that the singer would smoke cigarettes in two to three drags. Great, great desperate lungfuls. Very impressive. He also sat in a quarter reading Jane, James Thurber before the show, which I thought was one of the most awesome things I've ever heard. Huh. Yeah. A lot of the articles to speak about the, the monotone vocals too, right? Yeah. As, uh, as being very unique and they definitely are. And that's another thing too, like every once in a while, cause they are a little dissonant, I guess, in the same way that like, you know, Exene's vocals were a bit dissonant when, uh, when paired with John Doe's. Um, but when they sync in with the melody again, like, uh, it's pretty darn cool. You can tell it was on yeah. purpose cause he could sing tunefully if you yeah. wanted to right same with Exine. if you listen to her solo albums she's she's a great singer yeah well the few x songs where she's kind of just singing solo it's definitely you know yeah. it's on purpose to sing that type of melodic treatment when you're singing with john doe yeah let's talk about the record yeah man history lesson part two all right where do you want to start uh brant with the tracks yeah, I just want to make make uh, one quick point before we go into this that kind of, I think we should maybe keep in mind while we're listening to it that I found really interesting and maybe you did too, and that's that Lynn Johnston's uh, contributions to this album are, I don't know, understated, which I found notable. And it's a really short album too. It's only th 32 minutes long. 
take us through the tracks, Ryan. Well, like I, like we mentioned, I mean, it's uh, it was tough to write stuff down about this one. Um, it's easy to get lost in this record. Not not since I think Raging Full On for me. Um, has it been so easy to just completely forget that, you know, I had a job to do, I guess, when I was listening to it and just was enjoying it. Uh, but the first song is The Way Untruths Are. And when that song starts out, that's what I was, one of the songs that I was getting at anyways, where it's like, wow, so many bands that yeah. came later copped this type of sound. That's that's what I thought. Great song, though. It's It keeps you off kilter for all of the verses and then when the chorus comes in it's very it's kind of relieving but it doesn't last for long it gets you right back into that off-kilter uh song structure and it's very cool yeah i wrote we're greeted by some keys or a tape loop which is a good way to start a slovenly record there's for this one there's some interesting interesting things happening with the time signature for sure and uh i can hear that andy gill uh gang of four influence on the guitar playing on this one yeah like the staccato picking stuff oh yeah second track is old new you say so much with so few words yeah i i wrote down some lyrics for this one too you always get to the point you always realize truth so objective pointing out a slight weakness with infinite sensitivity <laughs> yeah and both these first two tracks too is really where i started to notice after hearing the interview where tom's bass playing is uh is really shining for me the upper register runs very cool this Love one it. has lynn on viola like i said he's really not mm -hmm. on this album a ton that i can hear if he is it's you know it's not as a lead player for sure yeah i hear it more on the next track on the surface yeah. it almost sounded like a cello or synths or an oboe but you know would have would have been the yeah. viola there great lyrics again on this one from steve he really shines on this one. This one doesn't have any drums in it. This, he says, everything and an attempt at amelioration. Often all we get is sober disenchantment. You like need a thesaurus to, to, to dig the lyrics, yeah. man. I don't know about you, but I was happy that I didn't have to say mutatus mutandus <laughs> again in this episode. That was relieving. Yeah, well, the guy is, uh, I mean, the lyrics are like yeah. poetry. You cannot ignore the fact that um, they're pretty darn deep. Yep. The next track is Prejudice. This one, um, the Patrick Foster from All Music in his review says this one's a highlight. I'm not sure it is for me. It's good, though. It sounds like something Firehose could have done. It's got that battle of the guitars right off the bat that I really like. Yeah. What about the sax in it, though? Yeah, I, I wrote Lynn reminds us that he's in Slovenly on this one. Funky rhythm too on this one. That's the firehose sound. Yeah. Well, they they had toured with firehose extensively by this point on the James Worthy tour. That would have been after like uh, what was the first one they did? The haircut tour. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Last track, I guess, on this side, which is called the other side, by the way, not side one, is called Emma, and this is one Tom mentions in the interview. I think that was written for. Or named after, is it Scott's daughter? Scott Zeigler had a newborn daughter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's an instro with bongos, hey? Yep. There's some field music or something. Like, you can hear a kid call out Emma if you listen really close. Mm -hmm. Like, it sounds like a playground. Field recording. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it sounds that to me, when I heard this one, I kept thinking I could hear Perry Farrell singing over top of this one. Okay. Yeah. You would know better than me, but I can see it. Yeah. How about uh, side two, track one, enormous critics? I think side two is called this side. I wasn't even sure which side was side one, to be honest with you. Well, my, do you have it on vinyl? No. Yeah. I've got it on vinyl and I don't, it doesn't say this side or that side on the record. Maybe it does on the cassette. It does on the CD. Oh. What about the back of the LP? Oh, you're right too. Yeah. On the back jacket, it says other side is side one and this side is side two. You're right. Yeah. Enormous critics. Yeah. Great riff. It opens with two chords and I'm just a sucker for a riff like this. Yeah. It's kind of jazzy, a little discordant. It's good. I, you know, like when I heard this riff, I'm like, this could be on a replacements record, this type of riff. Just those, oh, yeah? just those two chords. Oh yeah. Like on the later twin tone records. Awesome. Myers Dark, I thought was maybe a reference to uh, that brand of rum, Myers Rum, like dark rum. Maybe. I didn't put that yeah. together. So how do they spell the rum? Is it, is it Myers apostrophe S? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I know I've drank it before though. <laughs> well, you're you're a leading authority on the subject then. <laughs> kind of a slow number. I finally wrote down the reference that I had been trying to avoid the the entire time for this one, and that's Joy Division. Yeah, I hit it in the in the last uh, episode on them too. His his vocals and the the music, Joy yeah. Division. There, it comes through from time to time for sure, in a good way. Yeah, this album or this track has a really nice melodic guitar solo in it yeah but there's not that many guitar solos on this album actually yeah they're like not solos there's a few little melodies here and there but an yeah. actual solo section you're right uh the next track is called not mobile it's a nice nice uh has a nice rockin guitar solo that's too short for me it has that great guitar interplay that reminds me of tom verlaine and richard lloyd from television yeah some cool twists in this one. Like there's a part where uh, Steve Anderson goes whap or something like that. And they just totally shift gears. It's yeah. pretty cool. Do you like any television records after Marquee Moon? Not really. Yeah. Like I try every few years to listen to the television records after Marquee Moon. And they just, they don't have it in the same way as Marquee Moon. But Marquee Moon from start to finish, is rock solid. Yeah, it's great. I, I have some Tom Verlaine and Richard Lloyd albums that I that I listen to, but like solo albums. Okay. I, I've never picked up any Tom Verlaine stuff. You know, I saw television a few years back, probably four years ago. Yeah. Um, great. Great live band. Um, you know, great players with them. But it was a little sleepy live, got to admit. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. This track has a guy named Willie Aaron. He kind of comes out of nowhere and it's not until he starts blowing some blues harmonica over top of the riff that you realize that it's kind of a bluesy riff. Yeah. It kind of takes the harmonica to, to show you that almost. The, the Bobo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one was a highlight for me. Not mobile? Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Side two, like I said, uh, I mentioned earlier, side two is the one where I couldn't, uh, I couldn't like 
focus on doing my work. I just kind of, the album, like the album took over kind of, it was hard to focus on it. Yeah. My second favorite or my, not my second favorite, my other favorite track is on side two, the next one, as if it always happens. I think I have a, I've always had a good ear for the hit. Like if I hear an album, I've always been able to pick out the song that would end up becoming the hit. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was like one of their more famous songs. It has a strong chorus, like a really distinct chorus. And a lot of their tracks don't, you yeah. know? Well, it the chorus lasts for yeah. a long enough period of time for you to notice it, which is unusual. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I can hear the John Fahey influence on the guitar playing. And some Neil Young, too. The guitar solo is very Neil Young-esque. Hmm. Then it closes out with a little resolve, literally. Yeah. I could have used more of that. Like it, like I said, it's only a 32-minute album. They've, I'm, you know, they could have, they would have had room for some, some interludes like this with some tape, tape music. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe midway through each side. Yeah. Yeah, could have done with that. It could have worked. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's one of those ones where you kind of go, man, that's a short album, but maybe it's actually the perfect length though. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel short. No. And it, and it doesn't get old either, right? It actually feels pretty epic. Yeah. Yeah. For the, for the length. Yeah. It's yeah. solid. Very cool. How about the, uh, the artwork? Yeah. It's, uh, I believe it's Slovenly Peter on the front, right? I think so. Yeah. I can't recall whether we mentioned this when we did our first Slovenly episode about how this is like some fairy tale, German fairy tale guy, Slovenly Pete. And I'm not going to bother trying to say his name in German or whatever that he's, you're supposed to read this story to your kids and it's supposed to help them behave and have good hygiene and all sorts of stuff like that. Cover illustration was by Claire DeLong and the, the border with like, I don't know, scissors and whatever, a comb. Yep. That was done by Jeff Watson, who is Tom Watson's older brother. What a weird cover, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure the cover suits the music and it probably didn't help them sell records either. No, it doesn't not suit it, but I'm not sure it would grab people's attention. It looks like medieval, you know? Yeah. Yeah bizarre the back cover suits the music more yeah agreed it's uh it's like slovenly written it well typed it looks like in like new alliance font i guess firehose font with um what appears to be a television screen with an image of i assume it's the band i'm sure it is and with it looks like a vhs tape kind of spazzing out like on pause or something. Yeah. And it, and that's in the four, like, I guess in the foreground and it looks like it is kind of superimposed on top of another image of the band. It looks like it. Cause it looks like kind of a shirt and a white shirt and stuff behind it as well. Yeah. Hard, hard to tell. We should just mention, I guess there's a few people we should mention here. Um, the photographs are by, by Mark Taylor and Paul, Gubser. There is an, a musician on here we haven't talked about before, Robert Blackmon, played percussion on the album. And the producer is Vic Abascal. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name. And maybe Tom mentioned it in the interview. Yeah, it's a it good one. Recorded at Lyceum Sound, which I think is in San Francisco. 
ahead of its time. Maybe not ready for any time. Please tell me there's dead wax. There is, there is. So uh, side A says Brower with an exclamation point. I think they mean Brewer. Mm, it's B-R-O-W-E-R. Typo. <laughs> tell me the other side says Jack. No, man. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Side B says Tail Gunner. Ooh, a reference to the Iron Maiden song? Likely. Very, <laughs> very likely, Brant. Yeah, no, it wasn't right. released for another five years, so Write likely that not. down, save it for a quiz. <laughs> Sounds quiz-worthy. Ballot yeah. result? Yeah. Ballot result. I could go with several tracks on this one, but um, I think I picked the last one, Mutatis Mutandis, on the Zoogs episode, so why don't you pick this one? No, you go ahead, man. No way, you. Well, I like As If It Always Happens. Let's do that do you? one. Do you like yeah. that one? Oh, for sure. For sure. This is one where there's, I mean, it's a real album, you know, in the sense that it's like, you know, many records you get where you're like, well, you were just saying, you know, you can pick out the hit. Sometimes yeah. the hit song on a record is the only good one. Yeah. And and let's be clear. That's not an album. They tried to make an album, but that's not an album. This is an album in the sense that, you know, some songs are better than others, but all of them are good. Yeah, no, it's a it's a piece of art that should be consumed in one sitting, for sure, Definitely. as a whole. Yeah, agreed. But let's go with that one. That's a great one. I would love for people to hear Mutatis Mutandis and that one back to back. Right on. Ryan, what's next week? Dude, we are heading into Divine Horseman territory for the first time. <gasps> love the Divine Horseman. Spoiler yeah. alert, love them. So it's SST90. We've got uh, two Divine Horseman albums in a row. The first one is Middle of the Night. And Brent, we've got a special guest. Yeah. Well, so we've got Chris D on the podcast next week, Ryan. And I'm pretty excited about that. I'm kind of looking at this as a two-parter, though, because of the back-to-back aspect of it. And a lot of these tracks were recorded at the same session. So I'm just going to say it now. We've got Chris D next week. And then the week after that, we've got Julie Christensen on the podcast. Nice one. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.